natural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines, you are not cattle, you are men. Eccoci qua, eccoci qua, eccoci qua. Here we go, Cop Radio 100.5 FM. I'm Ruggero, your host. I just can't wait to head right into it because today's guest, oh my goodness, today's guest. Please, everybody, raise your hands because we have in the booth, ooh, film financier and film producer, CEO of Electric Panda, Gabriel Napora. How are you doing, Gabriel? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm a little bit sick, so you might hear some raspiness in my voice, but hopefully everyone understands me. All good. We're all happy to, to have you here and just head dive into the world of film and your world and your career in film, uh, traveling between LA and Vancouver and producing so many amazing films. So first things first for our audience out there, who is Gabriel Napora? So I am a film producer and financier. I've been doing this for 24 years now, which is hard for me to even believe. Um, and I'm CEO of Electric Panda Entertainment, which is a film financing, development and production company. Mm, that's t- Tasty. That's some juicy juice right there. We have a lot to talk about. And uh, I just want to uh, ask you about your priorities as a film producer and film financier in this moment in your career. What drives you? What keeps it alive? So what drives me more than anything else is finding projects and scripts that are meaningful that I think can change the world. That's what excites me is really reading uh, and finding filmmakers that are just amazing. We're looking for the best stuff out there. Mm, already from this, you can hear that today's conversation is going to go deep. We have someone here who's ready to go deep, get that oxygen mask going and uh, just getting down deep in the sea and high up there in the sky. So, Gabriel. Gabriel, 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 we first met at the Chinese Film Festival. Shout out to the festival and the people who organized it, Paul Armstrong and Christine Song. And we had that beautiful time on the cruise. And first thing, I noticed this great energy and passion that you had, always uh, navigating and, and dancing around you. Uh, so I'm curious to hear about your trajectory and the trajectory of your career, starting from when you were 23 years old all the way to now. So the story of how I got into film, I, you know, I'd like to say that it was always my dream. It wasn't always my dream. I never in a million years thought I would get into film. So my story is I did two years of business management in Alberta. And at the end of that, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I knew I'd own a company, but I went into sales. And for a summer, I sold security alarms. Problem is, I didn't sell a single one. Oh, wow. So I didn't really know what to do with my life. And I was at kind of a crossroads. I went back to the school that I had taken the program from and noticed that they had a film program and they were auditioning for actors. I auditioned, I got the role. I didn't like the acting, but I liked the behind the scenes. So I enrolled in that film program for two years. At the end of that program, you had to do a four-month unpaid practicum. And I did one with a, a TV commercial company. And to be honest, I started out as a PA and I was a screw-up. I was horrible. But one guy saw how hard I worked and took pity on me, I, w I guess you'd say, and became my mentor and oh. gave me the chance at the end of the four months, because I worked my butt off, to actually produce. Mm. So I got to produce national and international commercials at a young age, at 23 years old. Mm. Did that for a while and then started my own company. Oh, wow. And what, what, what about that experience of just touching base with, the, with that international level of commercials? I'm really curious to hear about that big jump and then transformation. It sounds like it was a cut rather than a fade in. What about that? It was. It was something that happened very suddenly. And again, it's, it's, it's so strange because life almost has a way of sometimes bringing you opportunity and, and bringing you stuff that you never saw happening. And when I got into it, it was just the right fit. It was just what I was meant to do. So mm. it was like the greatest experience and everything was new and learning and, and I had a great time with it. Mm, beautiful. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, I'm also uh, very inspired by your work. There is uh, almost 30 films produced and if people go on IMDb and check that out, it's quite impressive. Of all those 30, what do you think was the one project that made you do the jump? I think for me, the, the, the biggest jump was the kindergarten teacher mm. over the last little over a year. We got that script. It was an amazing script. And at the time, we didn't necessarily have financing or anything prepared for it. And we had very little time to finance uh, our portion of the film. And I had a, a conversation with uh, uh, Yaz Talat, who's my business partner, and it was you know, are we going to find, find a way to finance this and, and go part of this, be part of this brilliant journey where this film's going to win awards and it's going to change people's lives and it's just mm. a brilliant film? Or are we going to watch on TV and from the sidelines and not be part of this amazing thing? And we found a way 
And that also made me realize how important it is to do great films. Mm. Like, it's an honor to be in this industry, but doing only great films, as much as you can control that, is such a huge mm. thing. There has to be some purpose behind the films and the stories that you tell as a filmmaker, for sure. And big shout out to The Kindergarten Teacher. Incredible movie. Just really an angle that that cracks open a box with so many themes and topics that are relevant right now. And believe it or not, people, you can go and find it on Netflix. So please make sure you go and uh, give the kindergarten uh, one hour of your time because it's so worth it. And that ending, oh my goodness, that ending, there is so much in there. I have no words. I was left uh, without speechless, really. And uh, that's how a movie should leave you. Or what are your favorite types of movies? I mean, I like, in terms of my personal taste, I like drama, sci-fi, thrillers, comedies. Like, I like almost every genre, like even art house. And it's, it's more about the story. Like, does the story resonate in whatever genre it's in? And if the story resonates, like, the genre doesn't necessarily matter as much as, like, you're telling a great story. I think that's the key to anything. Mm. And there's a place for, like, entertainment and, and stuff that's, like, disposable, too. But where we've kind of chosen mostly to go is with stuff that resonates, stuff mm. you're going to think about after. Mm, resonates, keeps you thinking, and uh, that's the magic of the storytelling process. That's the magic of stories. And when it comes to storytelling, we see storytelling and the essence of all those stories in so many art forms. We have music, we have dance, we have painting, sculptures, we have so much. I'd like to ask you, is there anything else that lives and keeps you alive that lives outside of movies? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have some hobbies. I mean, I've taken up painting. I'm horrible at it, but, you know, <laughs> I've taken that up. Um, I like telling stories in, in different genres, like even if they're like Instagram stories and kind of making people laugh. And, you know, I certainly appreciate all different <laughs> forms of art. I appreciate music. We used to do music videos. Uh, I appreciate uh, painting. I mean, th there's so many different ways that you can, you can put your art out there. What, what is meaningful to me is if somebody really puts their emotion and heart into it, because mm -hmm. I think you can, you can tell as opposed to something that's like superficial. Mm, that's key. Everything transpires through the frames in some way, in one way or the other. Uh, even if that's a controversial statement in, way, in many ways, because we have sometimes film sets that go horribly wrong and the film comes out uh, good. And then we have sets that go very well and the film comes out whatever it is. So that's also something that I've been wondering about. How is your relationship between the film set and the end result? It's funny, I mean, I have found that the sets that have a little more conflict and issues that happen tend to lead to better films. Oh. I've I found when things go extremely well often, people either aren't being critical enough or, you know, there's too much yeses going on mm. and often that doesn't lead to as good of an end product. Mm. That could just be my own, you know, because I've heard of like great experiences happening with other filmmakers that lead to great films. Mm. But I found a little bit of strife is actually sometimes a good thing. I see. The conflict is necessary to find the balance point. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I, I know that there, is a, there, is a, there are many stories, you have many stories of shooting in slums and so bringing a film set inside the slums I really want to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, uh, me and, and, and some of the people I work with, specifically Yaz, have, have really been attracted to uh, the aesthetic of, like, slums and downtrodden areas and that sort of thing. And, and you know, we shot in Detroit, and in Detroit, we had guns pulled out on us oh, twice. wow. Which was, you know, we actually thought that was kind of fun, believe mm -hmm. it or not. It was a weird <laughs> experience, but fun. We were in the slums of Ibiza mm. and, uh, you know, had threats to get our throats cut. Oh, wow. Um, and we were almost kidnapped in Morocco. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> it's, all been, it's all been fun. And, you know, we live for our own stories. Like, our, our own lives are a story. So to come away with, like, stories like that, that, hey, we got away and, and you know, we're, we're not that much worse off mm. for it is always a great thing for mm. us. We should make a film about the making of those films. That's for sure right there. Oh, <laughs> man, you know, if I had to give advice to any filmmaker, oftentimes the making of can sometimes be more interesting than the mm. film itself. You don't want it to be, <laughs> but it's always such an interesting experience. Mm, interesting. We'll keep that. We'll pin that thought. We'll take a screenshot and save it on our desktop right there. We'll keep that in mind. I love sure. it. Gabriel, before we take a break over here, uh, I want to step into the world of LA and Vancouver as two cities that live in the midst of the film industry, but yet they're so different. I'd love to hear from your perspective, traveling always between Vancouver and LA, what's the difference, what's the change there and where should people live to really thrive? 
I think it really depends on what you do. Like, there's a couple different components to make that decision for you. LA is where big decisions are made and big financing takes place. Um, that exists a lot less in Vancouver. There's a couple companies that, that do that out here, but not very many. There's, you know, essentially in my mind, there's us and Braun. And Braun has done an amazing job, but they're also kind of out of LA right now. Mm. Um, I think if you want to get financing, you're in LA or you're spending a significant amount of time in LA. But for filming, I find Vancouver to be a much more film friendly place mm. uh, than LA. They just make it a lot easier to film out here. I find the crews better. Uh, I love filming in Vancouver way more than I like filming in LA. Mm, that's great to hear. And Vancouver in many ways has been uh, uh, very versatile and just uh, resembling many different cities. So there is, you can really find whatever you want in this area and in BC. And that's definitely one of the parts that make Vancouver so beautiful as well as a city to live and so as you stand out there just listening to this remember and remind yourself of how beautiful of a city it is Vancouver how beautiful of a place even if it's immersed in the snow but you know what snow they are indeed the frozen tears of God see it that way and see that how how that changes your day so now it's actually time to take a little break and uh, I want to take you uh, to a little bit of a funky juicy tune uh, with a, a track called personal by Ross. So please take a break and I'll catch you right after with Gabriel Napora talking about films on Room Tone, the radio show. Catch you later. Radio show. I'm Ruggiero, your host. Can't wait, oh my goodness, to tell you about this beautiful, juicy track. This was Personal by Ross. Mm, promoting those independent artists. So much juicy juice, huh? Here in the booth with Gabriel Napora. Talking more about films and uh, CEO of Electric Panda. Oh, so much to talk about. Now, Gabriel. I want to step into the world of intellectual property. I know that uh, you're a really expert about uh, this world. And uh, why don't we just step into it? What does intellectual property even mean in the world of film? So intellectual property is really, you know, the idea where a film kind of comes from. And, and that can come from many spots. That can come from books. That can be your idea. That can be a script. It can be a treatment or a synopsis. Like it can come from so many different places. But starting with great intellectual property is, is really where it begins. Mm, there is this famous story of the $5,000 investment that leads to a $70 million movie. Right. So uh, at one point, you know, it, very fortunately in, in my career, um, I was doing a music video for Swollen Members. And that music video required some visual effects. And the director uh, hooked up the visual effects with a very young visual effects artist artist named Neil Blumkamp mm. and um, after that particular video Neil decided he wanted to get into music videos and all that sort of stuff so I started funding some of his work um, and we did a bunch of projects a bunch of short films and all sorts of stuff and, and one of those projects was uh, a short film 
film called Tetravale, which led to, you know, in, in part, a couple of uh, much larger films, mm. which, was a, which was a great thing and also, you know, helped me with my career. And uh, Neil's an, an incredible talent, undeniably. Mm. Beautiful. By the way, Neil, we're talking about District 9 over here, people. So just keep an eye on that and uh, the, the power and the essence of that movie in many ways uh, also digs deeper into my childhood. And I remember this, watching this film with my father uh, on Sky, believe it or not. So that's, uh, that's quite something right there. And uh, Gabriel, when we talk about intellectual property, we talk about the journey, uh, just going along the whole drive and carrying along that idea from beginning to end, alongside really big studios as well. So when you package that intellectual property to be presented, what do you prioritize? How do you package that intellectual property for presentation? Well, I, I think there's multiple ways to do it because we delve in the area of science fiction a lot. You need something very visual. So what we'll often do is we'll either create or find uh, a project, whatever it is. We'll shoot what's called a proof of concept for it. So what a proof of concept is, is it's a, you know, let's say one to five minute short film that shows what the world would look like, what the film would look like it has to look very high-end mm -hmm. uh, we'll package that with a great screenplay um, and then we'll go out to studios and we'll sell it mm -hmm. and or you know finance it ourselves or there's multiple ways to get it done but the more you can show visually especially in science fiction the more likelihood you have of, of getting something made because people need to understand that world mm, so let's say we go to a studio how much do you think that studio would be willing to pay for that intellectual property what well, it all depends I mean there's multiple stages to it like you Usually there's a licensing fee, so that licensing fee can be anywhere from, you know, $50,000 to $500,000 to up. Like, it, it really depends mm -hmm. who you are and what your track record is. And then, you know, once they fund the film, there's more money there as well. Mm, there you go. There seems to be really a, a lot of pieces to this puzzle in right. many ways, uh, but also having the chance to just sit in front of the studios, that seems <clears> to be a lot of work uh, on its own. Uh, how do you manage to get in front of the studios that you work with? And uh, what was the process like? When did that happen and how did that happen? So we, we got very lucky in that we were doing a lot of proof of concepts and a couple guys um, who were working for major studios saw our work and mm. reached out to us mm. and actually said, you know, your work's amazing. You should be doing work with studios and then went about the process of like hooking us up with major studios and you know in that process you get to go pitch the the the, the top end people the people who make decisions and once they know your work once they know who you are and that you do quality work they, they embrace that like they need studios need really good projects mm, there you go and so there, there there it begins it's almost like uh, in some ways it sounds to me like selling insurance you know getting an idea selling air and then uh, giving the the opportunity for people to just take care of that idea and grow it into their own that's uh, that's really smart that's really bright and i'm sure that of course there is a lot to it uh, but uh, for now i want to step into the world of actually producing mm -hmm. a big scale feature film and financing it and how to actually budget a something like that. What was your experience in budgeting and in understanding the scope of big feature films? I think, I think, you know, ultimately the biggest thing, like especially if you're dealing with studios, studios will often dictate what the budget is mm. uh, and then you just have to fit things within the context of that. And I think the, the biggest thing is surrounding yourself with great people. So for instance, I can do a budget. Like I'm competent to do a budget, but I'm not the best. Mm. So, I mean, you're going to get and usually dictated by the studio who your line producer is and who your production manager is and you're just going to work within the confines of what the studio gives you if you're doing something that's self-financed it's a very different story mm. if it's something self-financed where where we're going in like I'm a lot more hands-on on the budget to make sure that you know we're dealing with our money or investor money that we're going to be on track on budget and all that sort of stuff the independent stuff is where you know I would say I get a lot more involved on the budget side mm, there you go so there is definitely again many many poor pieces over there um, I'm wondering what was the biggest lesson for you in your process of financing films and producing films what was the biggest lesson that you learned even the hard way I mean, there's a, there's a few things. One is script is the most important. You mm. do not go into production on a script that's halfway. Mm. Uh, and, and I don't mean half done. I mean something that's not exceptional. Until mm. you know that that thing is like great, don't go into production on it because you will not save it in post. Mm. And then I think the other biggest lesson like in terms of new filmmakers is A, it's very possible to get your projects financed and it's ultimately a numbers game. If you don't have that money, it's the amount of people that you're willing to go talk to mm. to get financing that's going to dictate 
dictate whether or not you get financing. Really? And oh, I wow. think that's the biggest thing. Wow, that's uh, that's something I had no idea about, and I feel that many filmmakers are not aware of that type of approach, especially because we as filmmakers, we find ourselves ready to go. We know A, B, C, D, all the way through to the production of a film. We can have the file and everything ready to go, but once you have the file, where do you take it to actually distribute it and get that revenue? What would be your advice to, to, to these filmmakers, to us, that we work really hard and we still need to connect all the dots for the full distribution? Well, on the, on the distribution side, you, you're going to need two things. You're going to need usually a sales agent that does foreign sales and then you're going to need you know distribution which could be domestic distribution um, to kind of move forward in terms of domestic distribution oftentimes that's something a filmmaker can do themselves they just reach out to the distributors there's only like a limited number domestically mm -hmm. in terms of foreign sales depending on the kind of film that you have I think you would really try and choose somebody that has similar films to what mm -hmm. you're doing and choose somebody that has a great reputation because more most foreign sales agents or scum just to mm, be completely honest I see and how do we get the chance to really understand if it's a scam or not is it just a word of mouth or just a lot of intuition how does I, that I think a lot of it is talking to like reputable filmmakers and finding out what they think and then um, uh, you know doing your due diligence in terms of what this sales agent has done in the past like mm. it's not hard to reach out to the filmmakers that they've worked with mm. and see what their reputation is how many times have they been sued you know all mm. of that stuff there you go okay okay so it really becomes a detective game as a film producer and film fantasy, at the end of the day you are a detective of storytelling <laughs> yes sadly I do think that's part of the game yes <laughs> well it's not that sadly it's part of the game it brings, brings some spice right yes. brings some spice yes. any really negative experiences in that world for you oh absolutely I mean you know early on in our career we got um, we got ripped off by a sales agent um, actually somebody out of Vancouver I, I won't mention his name but uh, there's not very many sales agents in Vancouver so you can kind to look that up um, I think a lot of filmmakers that's where they get the, the, that's where they get screwed over is it's not hard for a sales agent to sell let's say Thailand or or China and for you not to know that they're selling it and then for you to discover later that they sold that and you didn't get any revenue mm, Wow really sounds <coughs> in some ways impossible to really get to touch the film all the way through it seems like someone can just take it and 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 take advantage of it to make more money is there any way you found yourself personally any way to stay in touch with the process and make sure that you're not getting ripped off well, I think a, a good chunk of the process is really knowing who you're in business with. Like, mm -hmm. if you're in business with a really good sales agent, they're not going to rip you off. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I mean, you use collections, a collections uh, company to do the collections on whatever they bring in. But even with that, they can still screw you. Like, mm -hmm. your, your battle is won or lost based on who you're working with. If you're working with bad people, bad people do bad things. Mm, there you go. As simple as that, eh? We really have to smell each other here in the industry. Well, yes. we keep eyes open for that uh, and uh, just get to have a little bit more of an experience with the communities that we interact with. I notice I feel very lucky with the communities of filmmakers, at least when it comes to the production process of the film. Here in Vancouver, we're so lucky. The community is so warm. It's beautiful. Of course, there is, there is the next step, which is the distribution process, which is many times a mystery just because there is a lack of education around it. And this is why it's so valuable that you're here talking to us about this. So I really thank you for that, Gabriel. And I'm curious about your first experience in pitching to a studio. How did that happen? So that, that really came about because a couple guys had seen our work and thought mm -hmm. that it was outstanding. So they then put us in front of, um, uh, you know, some major studios. And, you know, when you go in for the first time, it's like very intimidating. Like mm -hmm. you're in Hollywood. These are the guys who greenlight, you know, $100 million films, $200 mm -hmm. million films. But the thing about it is once you realize they need product, mm -hmm. they need intellectual property, they need film ideas and all that stuff. And they're just people too. So it takes away a lot of the, the mystique and, um, you know, being worried about going and pitching. Mm. They need you just as much as you need them. Ooh, that's a golden piece of advice there. That's something I didn't really think about. There is that mystery, that mystique, as you said. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so it, seems, it, seems, it really sounds like stepping into that room and having all those people stare at you. And I, I probably, how many people are we talking about in a room? Is it 10 people just staring at you and no. just... You know, it, it could literally be as few as one and it, it could be up to 10. You know, wow. you could have a lot of 
different people in the room. And, and you know, when you're pitching, oftentimes they're taking notes. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily see the reaction on their face because they're dealing with like 10 pitches a day. So you're another one of the pitches. But, you know, in the end, if you're prepared and you have a great project, um, you can get stuff made like in, in one way or another. And there's not the great thing now is it's the best time in history to be a producer or a content mm. creator because there's so many outlets for content. Mm. Um, there's not just one or two. Mm, beautiful. That's well said. And of course, there is a lot of controversy around the fact uh, of digital distribution and how that is changing. And the, the, the theatrical distribution aspect is so itchy for many reasons, especially because people get ripped off so many times. And it doesn't take much to look at interviews on YouTube of, of sales agents, as you mentioned, that take advantage of, of as filming. How do you think we can create those those uh, those connections and maintain those relationships with good distributors? Well, I think what's going to happen in the future, and I, I would guess we're less than five years away from it, is you're not going to need sales agents anymore. Somebody's going to come out with a website where you can upload your film. Um, distributors from all over the world are going to be able to view part or all of the film and are going to bid on the film. Mm. Meaning that you're not going to need that intermediary anymore. And when that happens, the chances of you getting ripped off, especially with like blockchain and all sorts of stuff, is going to go down significantly. Wow, that's a genius idea, man. I think you should start that website. I think Electric Panda should start that website, man. That's a genius idea. Getting that bid going, <laughs> that's such a simple idea. Nobody really thought about it. Well, I think there are companies actually that are that are doing it. I don't think anybody has done it to the level it needs to be done, but mm. at some point somebody will, hmm. and it'll render all of these, you know, horrible sales agents useless at that mm. point, which I think is a great thing. Mm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so much juicy juice over here. And uh, Gabriel, I want to dance around the topic of the pitch as well uh, a little bit more because it's uh, something that uh, uh, really ha- we see in the movies and the TV shows. We don't really get a chance to hear that from someone who's actually done it multiple times. How long do you get to pitch and how, what is the format of your pitch? Does it change or you usually have a format in a system? I mean, usually it's, it's kind of almost like you would envision it or maybe like you've seen in the movies. You know, you go in, there's a little bit of small talk, sometimes very little, uh, and then you just dive into it. And, and typically you have, like nowadays, you have five to ten minutes to give a legitimate pitch. You're not there for an hour. If they want you there longer, they'll keep you there longer asking questions and such. Um, but usually you don't have a lot of time. So you've really got to get into it and, and, and have something great from the start. That's also where proof of concepts can really come in nicely because, you know, a, a two to five minute proof of concept visually gives a, a really good idea as to what the film is and what the film's about if you've done it right. Wow. Is it a place where people can watch the proof of concepts made by Electric Panda? Uh, a lot of them, I think, are on uh, YouTube and Vimeo. I mean, certainly we're just in the process of getting our website up, which, you know, for a company that's been a year old, we should have had it up and we've done, you know, eight films in that year, but uh, <laughs> it's about to be up and you'll be able to view it there. Mm, I love that. You know what? I'm going to put that link in the description of this podcast as well on RoomtoneRadioShow.com. Believe it or not, this is Take 71. It's been a while and I'm really happy to see that uh, there has been a, a quite a trajectory to this and uh, I'm uh, able to talk with someone like you that has gone through all of these journeys and uh, is sharing a lot of this with the audience here on Cop Radio and on our podcast on our page. So a big shout out to all of you out there uh, listening. Much love. You're part of the community and man, oh my goodness, this Italian sharp nose hugs you nice and strong. Now, Gabriel, um, talking about Electric Panda, what happened before Electric Panda? So prior to Electric Panda, we were in a company called Imagination Park Entertainment and that company was uh, well still is a publicly traded company meaning you can buy stock in it and that sort of thing and it started as a film company but then we took some augmented reality software in it and the company became really more of a software company it Mm. was just a better story for the public market so Electric Panda formed out of that became a private company um, and became a film finance company and Imagination Park still exists as a very cool augmented software uh, uh, company and and you know we we have a lot of shares in that company 
and it's a great uh, great company mm, there you go so there is a, really a lot of layers also in your in the process of being a film producer and film financier now there is also a lot of mystique as you mentioned around the image of the film financier and you being one how would you suggest filmmakers to approach film financiers and uh, just get in touch to possibly see the trajectory of one of their projects well I would suggest you do a lot of research as to who you you go see like if you approached us with a hundred thousand dollar horror film that has a lot of blood and guts <laughs> it's, that's not our thing like and if you look at what we finance that's that's really not our thing but for some companies that's very much their thing mm -hmm. so it's really knowing what the company is kind of into and you know specifically with us if you're going to approach us you got to have a great script mm -hmm. you have to have a great script a great story great intellectual property it certainly helps if you have package stuff where mm -hmm. there's major actors involved or a major director but, but just doing your due diligence and your research as to who you're approaching is a good thing. Mm, there you go. And so when we also hear about film financier, sometimes we talk about in many ways it almost works like a loan. Am I right or am I wrong? Um, well, there's different ways that, that films get financed and, you know, there's equity. You can do it as, as there's certain companies that do it as a form of a loan. Um, there's all different ways. There's not just one way that films get financed and it really depends on what stage the financing company is coming in. Like mm -hmm. a lot of times they'll, they'll um, finance based on tax credits or all sorts of different things. There's not just one way. I see. There you go. And then, that, and then as the beginning of the process, you take it all the way to the end, uh, but you've got to make sure that you have trademarked that intellectual property in some ways. Is that right? Well, you copyright the intellectual mm -hmm. property. I mean, there's all sorts of, again, there's all sorts of different ways that things kind of go down structurally. Sometimes you'll create as a filmmaker a one-off company that gets the copyright in there and then you know that oh. goes to the end of the project and then a distributor comes in and then they get that copyright to the project because they're distributing it and it kind of moves forward from there oh wow okay Ooh, so many layers people oh wow we're playing monopoly right here <laughs> i love it love it so definitely of course there are many rules to that copywriting uh, process and um how can filmmakers get educated around all of this well i think a lot of it is you can certainly read about copyright online but sometimes you just have to do it and you have to have very knowledgeable lawyers who understand about copyright uh, because what you don't want to have happen is you don't want like an unscrupulous distributor or sales agent to come in take your copyright you get no money for it and then they're able to do whatever they want to do with it mm. and that's why you get you know great lawyers to to come on board and make sure you're protected uh, a, a great lawyer is honestly worth its weight in gold worth his or her weight in gold mm. oh wow so much right here wow Gabriel I'm loving this conversation so much we're really getting to the nitty gritty and uh, I really appreciate you taking the the, the flight with me on this beautiful conversation. I think, I think it's right now it's the time to take another break uh, here on Room Tone, the radio show, and just get into uh, another juicy track. Uh, this is uh, Saba, another artist I really support, with Way Out. So see you way out there. Catch you later.
Back again, Room Tone, the radio show, Cop Radio 100.5 FM. I'm Ruggiero, your host, and here we are in the booth with legendary Gabriel Napora talking about filmmaking, film producing, and film financing, CEO of Electric Panda. Why is that panda electrified? <laughs> so uh, when we were coming up with the name, uh, Yaz and I were were throwing stuff out, and we always liked panda bears, both of us. So we were like, well, what, what should we do? Uh, Dirty Panda, you know, I mean, all, all sorts of names we were just kind of playing with. And then one of us threw out the name Electric, and it's like, wow, that, you know, that kind of has a nice ring to it. Mm. And because we do a lot of work in, in China uh, and on Chinese projects as well, uh, the Panda was meaningful to us. So mm. just worked out to Electric Panda. Mm. Tasteful, tasteful. And that's also why I uh, met you at the Chinese Film Festival. I'd like to ask you also, what brought you into that community? Uh, well, I, th I think, you know, I've been going to China since 2007 and with the idea that I knew China was going to be a very big film center. And, you know, it takes a long time to crack China. It's, it's, it's a bit insular in that way. But once you do crack it, the opportunities there are amazing. So I've always loved Chinese film. I've always mm. loved Chinese TV series and uh, just became friends with a lot of Chinese filmmakers in Vancouver as well. And we've brought some Chinese projects out here that have uh, done very, very well. Beautiful. I love the sound of that. And uh, they, they, of course, I, I see how the network and the, 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 the solidity of that network can lead to so much. At the end of the day, it's the people that you meet and how you meet them and, and what you mean to the community as well. So big shout out, big shout out absolutely to the Chinese Film Festival. There you go. Now, uh, I think it's time for the one-minute pitch. Are you ready? Uh, let's hope so. Okay, so we're going to hit that clock one minute for Gabriel to pitch anything. Anything you want. Let's go. Okay, so I'm pitching a project called Hit, Kick, Punch, Kill. Uh, it's an action project. We don't just do dramas. Um, four deadly assassins known only as Hit, Kick, Punch, and Kill are given 10 hours to capture a Yakuza mob boss. Uh, before he gives a deposition against his brother, a ruthless Yakuza lieutenant, Ryota has promised the four assassins $10 million upon his brother's capture, but will leave nothing to chance. He has his deadly sights set on a loved one of each of the assassins. If they finish the job, they get the money and their loved ones go free. Fail and they will die. For every uh, hour Hyogo goes uncaptured, the purse decreases by $1 million, adding further pressure on the four men. As they storm the hospital where Hyogo is being treated, Hit, Kick, Punch and Kill will learn that nothing is what it seems, and in order to survive the day, they will have to rely on the thing they each hate the most, each other. Ooh, look at that one-minute pitch right there, Gabriel. Can you, sh can you shout that title again once again? Hit, Kick, Punch and Kill. Hit, kick, punch, and kill. Wow, that's a little bit like a rap. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, I love it. Bit, yeah. That sticks in your mind. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, that was a, uh, uh, quite a pitch right there. Uh, I wonder also how much work it goes into creating a pitch like that. And uh, a big shout out. Big shout out to uh, the people and the communicators. Because I read a quote the other day. If you're not a communicator, you're not going to go that far, right? In life, somehow, it's important to learn how to communicate, not only, of course, through your art form, but even just through the spoken uh, word. Uh, did you find any obstacles? throughout your life uh, related to communication yourself? Well, I think I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm naturally an introvert who's, who's trained himself to become an extrovert. Wow. And so, like, as an introvert, sometimes you just want to be alone and you want to do your thing and you really have to force yourself to go and talk to people. Wow. And also, as an introvert, sometimes it's tough to ask 
people for what you need. Mm. But that's everything. Like being able to go out and ask people for something, whether that's money or a project or put yourself out there in any capacity, that's what gets you success. Mm. And you have to fight that. Um, instinct not to do that as an introvert. Mm, wow, that's a big shout out also to all the introvert filmmakers and producers, all of you out there listening. This is a great story uh, uh, and great inspiration in many ways. An, intro an introvert that had to find its way and uh, familiarize with the world of the extroverts. I love it. And something that resonates with me is that Many times people think that introverts uh, have a hard time networking. Actually, some of the people that are the best networkers that I know, they're introverts. They recharge on their own. And then when they go out there and meet people, they can channel that energy in such a good way that actually favors that networking process. So uh, that's something I, I, I found really uh, exciting as a form of inspiration for uh, introverts uh, here you know, in my community in Vancouver. Beautiful, lovely. That's well, I, think, I think one thing too with introverts, just to kind of add to it is like... N nothing against extroverts, I love you all, but um, introverts have such a depth of emotion and oftentimes come from such a true place mm. that I think you can use that to your advantage in any in any interaction because you're coming from a place of, of le like legitimacy and you're not looking for attention mm. or anything like that. Like you legitimately are trying to add value. Not that extroverts aren't, many are, but I can speak as an introvert. You can use that to your advantage in interactions. Mm. Some inspiration straight from the booth right here. Gabriel, I love this so much, man. This is wonderful. And I think it's uh, time to get into the Proust questionnaire. So we're going to pick five questions randomly out of the 35 questions that Proust wrote down thinking they would dive deep and dig deep enough to find someone's true identity. Are you ready? Let's do it. First question of the Proust questionnaire for Gabriel. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, Getting deep. You know, per mask. perfect happiness, honestly, is something that comes from within and should be have nothing to do with your own surroundings or anything like that like I think perfect happiness is just that state where you really decide to be happy regardless of where you are in life and, and I do think that lots of great things if not all great things like ultimately come from that happiness so it's just the choice to be happy regardless of what's going on in your life mm, happiness is a choice and joy is a circumstance I love that man that leads us to the second question of the Proust questionnaire who are your heroes in real life Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> man, I have so many heroes in, in, in real life. Uh, man, uh, you know, Frank Darabont, who I think created the, the greatest film ever, Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Um, uh, I think James Cameron, who is just like came from nowhere to create, you know, some amazing films and, and giant action films that mm -hmm. have like some depth. I think he's amazing. I think there's so many incredible writers, you know, but my heroes are also like the, the, the people who are starting out who are fighting like every obstacle that can possibly exist and, you know, are going to be the next filmmakers of the next 10 and 20 years. Your heroes too. There, there's so many. Mm, shout out to many filmmakers out there beautiful uh, finding that hook and finding that inspiration in many ways uh, can be that force that pulls you forward you need something that pushes you behind you could be that film or the fear of not making that film but that, that idea that person right there pulls you up and, and the necessity the, that, that how that works is an integrated faculty man oh man the, the, the power of that purpose absolutely leading us to the third question of the Proust questionnaire what do you most value in your friends I think I've been so lucky to work with my friends in, in our company, uh, Electric Panda Entertainment, that, mm. are, that are my true friends. I think what, I've, what I value most, there's, there's a lot of things too, but it's the idea that none of us will let each other, A, get an ego, none of us will let each other fall, and we're always in each other's corner to succeed. You know, I, I will always be the loudest person cheering when any of my friends succeed, mm. no matter what. And if I can help lift them up in any way, I want to be that guy that lifts them up mm. when, when things are down. And I feel they do the same with me because we all have those human moments when we're down. And I love them all. I mean, they're just, they're just the best. So tasty, man. So much heat in this booth. You're turning this booth into a sauna, man. I love it all, man. I love it all, man. Wow. And this is leading us to the fourth question of the Proust questionnaire. Which historical figure do you most identify with? Which historical figure? Oh, I wish I was ready for that question. <laughs> uh, which historical figure do I most identify with? 
you know, I, I kind of like Winston Churchill because I think mm. I think he was had a you know a certain degree of of class um, even mm. during the biggest times of strife and there was a lot of bravery there and I think you know I can't say you know he did everything right but I think there's certain things that he did that were that were quite brilliant I identify to some degree with with Buddhism and the philosophy behind Buddhism so I'm nowhere near enlightened or anything like that but you know the idea of Buddhism and Buddha definitely very much appeals to me those are the two that come to mind first, so you know maybe I'll stick with them. Mm. Oh my goodness, Gary, you're knocking them all one by one here. You're killing it all. <laughs> I love it, man. Fifth question of the Proust questionnaire. This is just for you, because back at the time when I met you on the on the cruise of the Chinese Film Festival, I uh, remember asking you to write on a page, and uh, you kindly took the time to write this beautiful quote uh, that goes, uh, "Happiness is the path to greatness." So this question is for you specifically. And he goes, when and where were you happiest? So, so this is like a very deep, long question that, you know, it's tough to get into every piece of it. But mm -hmm. there, was, uh, there was one point in my life where I was actually defrauded. Um, me and a, a group of people were defrauded out of a significant amount of money, actually on a film deal. Mm. And, you know, at my lowest point when I thought I was going to lose everything, um, my house my my everything like even even to the point where you get into like really negative thoughts about yourself and where you, you might end up um and whether you even want to live is i decided at that point that i'm going to try and be happy for a month and after that month almost as if by magic money started to come back opportunity started to come back and I think I was honestly at my happiest, happiest there. At my lowest point when I chose to be happy is when I was my happiest. Wow, people, have you just heard what I heard? Have you just heard what I, what I heard, people? Oh my goodness, Gabriel, so much depth up in here. This is really special. I never expected uh, an answer like that. And I bet that uh, a, a space like that, a place where you get the chance to experience that magic it becomes so tangible you be, you start to believe in the tangibility and the charm of life and dreams themselves i think what I, what i want to really tell people as it relates to that is i do believe almost all greatness comes from happiness to some in some way but you know no matter how low you are like even at your like absolute lowest point you could be so close to having everything you could ever want stick with it don't give up and it'll come mm, beautiful so stick to your guts stick to your guns and uh, just keep walking keep walking walking forward now gabriel i know that electric panda keeps itself very very busy so what's the plan for 2020 so last year we did eight films this year we want to try and do about 15 films oh wow every film we do has to be better than the last one which has become like a very challenging thing because i think we chose some exceptional films last mm. year and we're starting the year off with an incredible film that we're we're financing called Arazu, which I think is just beautiful. It's a it's about a ballerina in Iran, and I absolutely love it. And you know we're going to have to find a way to keep topping every project we do, which is just such a beautiful challenge mm. to 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 be able to go out and find you know amazing scripts and amazing mm. filmmakers. So when you say we do, you want to do 15 films. Do you mean financing, or you want to see the whole? process uh, what do you mean when you say we do well i think films? it'll be a mixture of both because we developed a lot of our own projects mm. which i'm incredibly proud of as well um, but we're also going to finance stuff where people come to us and say we have this film it's a very worthy project we've got these actors this director uh, you should come in so it'll be a mixture of both Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, so people keep eyes open for Electric Panda, eyes on the prize, and ears on the cheers before we wrap everything up. Gabriel, one piece of advice for the independent filmmakers out there. I think the, the, the biggest piece of advice I can give is, you know, th I'm going to say three things, even though you said one thing. Go for it. One, you've got to learn film finance and how finance works. And if you don't know there are people that can help you, just reach out to the companies that do mm. it. Maybe volunteer, ask, you know, whatever else. Two, you have to find great intellectual property. And again, if you don't know how to do that, ask people who do. You know, learn, read the stories, read the biographies, all that sort of stuff. And, and number three, it's a tough industry to be in. Stick with it and honestly be happy. If you're happy regardless of circumstance, 
I, I truly believe you're going to find the better projects versus being miserable. Mm. It's tough to find great things when you're miserable. Mm. How much that uh, inner projection influences the world outside. I sometimes uh, are not only perceivers, but they actually project. They're projectors. So first we start by projecting our own feelings on the world, on the canvas of the world, and then we project movies on the screen. I love that. That's a beautiful connection there, Gabriel. And uh, I believe it's actually time to wrap this whole episode up. It's been an incredible conversation Gabriel. Gabriel, thank you for coming over and I know that sometimes it's really hard to catch you because you're always traveling around on the move and uh, much respect to that. And uh, That being said, people listening out there, much love to you all. I'm going to catch you next Thursday, 11am. I'm uh, Ruggiero, your host on Room Tone, the radio show and right now I'm going to take you to another juicy track called The Mosaic by four different artists I really respect. This is Koan Sound, Culprit, Asa and Sorrow. So please, everybody, take a moment. Enjoy! this extremely powerful track that leads you in the rest of your day and again remember snow are the frozen tears of god see it that way and see how life will change catch you next thursday